Welcome to Talking for the Health of It with Permanente Medicine. I'm Amy Kaiser, Communication Coordinator. And I'm James Boyle, Health Engagement Trainer. We both work on the health engagement team here at the Mid-Atlantic Permanente Medical Group, where we serve members of Kaiser Permanente in the Mid-Atlantic region. Today, we're talking with Permanente Medicine physician, Dr. Leslie Sims, about common misconceptions surrounding anesthesia. Welcome, Dr. Sims. Thank you for joining us today. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do? Hi, Amy and James. Thanks for having me. My name is Leslie Sims, and I'm a double board certified general and pediatric anesthesiologist. I work in the Mid-Atlantic States region, and I work in our surgery centers and our core hospitals. I provide anesthesia for adults and children. Thank you for being here with us today, Dr. Sims. Could you start us off by telling us a little bit more about what anesthesiologists do? Thanks, Amy. Yes. So anesthesiologists are physicians, and what we do is we evaluate, monitor, and supervise patient care before, during, and after surgery. We also work outside of the operating room setting, doing things like OB anesthesia, where we do epidurals and spinals. And in our role, our goal is to be the guardian angel. So we take care of all of your physiology. We keep you asleep and comfortable during the surgery. And we also take care of everything that happens to you while the surgeon is doing their surgery so they can focus on their part. We focus on our part in uh, being that guardian angel for you. And when and where is anesthesia used? So we're all over the hospital. It's kind of funny. We, we work in the operating room setting. Uh, we work in the GI suite. We work on labor and delivery. We also work in the cardiac cath lab where people have cardiac procedures done. And then sometimes we work um, even offsite, like in places like the MRI or the CT scanner. And so we pretty much work with every specialty. Um, we know everyone in the hospital and everyone is our friend. And Dr. says outside of the operating room, when else might anesthesia be used? So if I'm in the... Um, GI suite, I might sedate you for a procedure. Um, let's say you're going to come in to have your baby and you need to have the, the baby turned before the delivery. Maybe I'll give you an epidural for that. Um, perhaps if I have um, a chil children who have any kind of special needs, maybe they need to get blood draws or they have to go for a procedure like a hearing test, a special type of hearing test. Also, if you needed a procedure on your heart, like a cardioversion, where you shock your heart back into the proper rhythm, I'll sedate you for that. So pretty much work all over the hospital, trying to help people feel better about whatever procedures they need to have done. And is it normal for a member coming in for a procedure or any other type of routine care? Is it standard for them to meet you before they go in for their procedure or surgery? Many times we don't need to meet you um, days ahead of time. A lot of times we meet you right before because we're consultant service. So um, many times people come in and it's not scheduled. Like for instance, they're going into labor and then they just meet us because we're on duty that day. But usually you'll meet your anesthesiologist right before your surgery, except if you have a special condition where you need to come in early so that you can be consulted. So for instance, if you have had a big spine surgery and you want to get an epidural, maybe we need to see you ahead of time. Or maybe you have something going on with your, your teeth or your face that might be unusual, and we need to take a look at you so we can make up a plan. But for the average patient, you'll meet your anesthesiologist on the day that you have your procedure. 
So because we don't normally interact with anesthesiologists or many people don't know that much about your specialty or what you might do, we wanted to talk with you today about debunking some misconceptions related to the work that you do. Does that sound good? Yeah, that sounds great. I'm really happy to be here to, to answer some myths and facts for you guys. Some of them are funny, some of them are scary, and I'm, I'm ready to go. Okay, awesome. So the first one on our list is the anesthesiologist does not stay in the operating room. So that's a myth. So the anesthesiologist is actually part of an anesthesia care team. And that care team can include an anesthesiologist, a nurse anesthetist, or an anesthesia assistant. Someone will always be by your side. We will never leave your side, whether you're lightly asleep, deeply asleep, or under general anesthesia. There's someone with you at all times. So whenever a member is going in for a procedure, it's pretty standard for their healthcare team to ask them some questions. And is it true that you need to tell your anesthesiologist if you use marijuana, even recreationally? Yes, Amy, it's true. That's that's a fact. So because marijuana has been legalized in a lot of different areas, it's very important to let your anesthesiologist know if you've been using any marijuana. The reason being is that using marijuana can make you need more pain medicine. It's sort of the opposite of what you would think because a lot of people use marijuana to calm down. But marijuana can actually have a, a paradoxical effect, meaning that it can make you need more pain medicine. So we need to know about any medications that you're taking, any and all. And you can be honest with us because we're not here to judge you. We're here to take care of you to the best of our ability. That's great to know. So even if a member has some concerns about reporting their use of marijuana, their healthcare team will keep that information confidential. Yes. If you ask me not to say something that you don't want mentioned, I won't. But I need to know everything that you ingest so that I can make the best plan for you and also be prepared after surgery in case you have more pain than I'm anticipating. That way I can have a plan for you to take care of you so that you have a good outcome. And along the same lines of communicating with your healthcare team before your procedure or surgery, can we talk about if it's okay to eat and drink a little bit before your surgery, as long as it's not a full meal. Is there truth to that? Yeah, this one's going to be a myth. So a lot of people don't like the fact that they have to not eat or drink before surgery. And this is one of the biggest complaints that I get from my members when I see them before surgery. So the reason why you shouldn't eat or drink is because whenever you're having anesthesia, if there's food in your stomach, that food can come out and get into your lungs, and that can be a potentially devastating consequence. So we want your stomach to be as empty as possible, and that's why we have you fast. So the fasting window is gonna be different for every type of procedure, and so you wanna follow the instructions that you're given before the surgery of how long you should, should wait to eat. So for instance, babies with formula need to fast longer than a baby drinking breast milk. And solid food versus black coffee, that's going to be a different time frame. So what we want to get out there is just to follow the instructions that you're given before the day of surgery. And even if you're hungry, try not to eat anything. But if you do eat something, please be honest with us because, you know, sometimes people eat and they don't tell us and then that can have a bad outcome. So the next one we have is that the anesthesia effect can disappear during surgery. Okay, so I'm going to call that one a myth. 
The reason I'm going to call it a myth is that your anesthetic will continue until we decide to turn off the medication that's keeping you asleep or turn off the gas to wake you up. So you don't need to worry about waking up during a procedure because we're with you the whole time and we're monitoring everything. So if you need a little bit more medication or if you need a little bit more gas, this is what we're watching sort of like a pilot throughout the whole time you are having your anesthetic done. When they're ready for you to wake up, that's when you'll wake up. And Dr. Sims, is it true that natural redheads require more anesthesia? That's actually a fact. So there have been a lot of studies that have shown that natural redheads can require more pain medicine. They feel more pain. It's not a lot more pain. It's a little bit, slightly more. Um, but one thing I want our members to know is that no matter what type of anesthesia you're getting, your anesthetic is specific to you. So it's a, it's a communication that happens between uh, the patient or the member and the anesthesia care team. So I can tell if you're having pain while you're asleep. I can tell you're having pain while you're awake, even if you're just barely awake. And so I'm gonna treat your pain uh, as, it, as I see it happen and I'm gonna anticipate your pain needs. So for instance, like we talked about, if you're using marijuana, you might need more pain medicine. This is why we talk to you in a full consultation before we do an anesthetic with you. So it sounds crazy, but yes, there are some genes that make natural redheads have to have a little bit more anesthesia and or pain medicine. And so the next two we have are around the epidural. One is that getting an epidural will slow down the labor process. Yeah, thanks, James. So there's a lot of misconceptions about what an epidural does. And I just wanna encourage our members when they're going for their prenatal visits to talk to their OB. And if they want to speak to an anesthesiologist about what to expect with an epidural, that can always happen. We can always call them and, and have a little chat. So an epidural does not slow down the labor. An epidural is medicine that basically makes you comfortable from about the waist down. So it doesn't get to the baby and it does not make the, the labor slow down. Um, I do think though that sometimes when people think about labor, perhaps labor goes faster when you're in a lot of pain and you just want to get that baby out. You know, that could be people's perception, but the medication itself, all it does is make you more comfortable. And in fact, many times, when you're able to relax because the pain is better, it actually helps the labor go a little bit more smoothly and it can actually speed up your labor because you're not scared of the pain. And another is that getting an epidural will impact the heart rate of your baby. The medicine does not get to the baby. So this is one of the biggest questions that we get from our members, especially those who are having their first baby. So the epidural itself, the medicine stays in your back and it only goes into your spinal fluid. That means that the medicine does not circulate around your body and get to the baby. So all it does is keep you comfortable in the area where the epidural is. So the best way I can describe the epidural is that most people have had a dental appointment or had a, a filling or a cavity. It's the same medicine that would be in the numbing medicine for a cavity or a filling, okay? Um, that's that same, that same numbing medicine. So if you've tolerated getting that numbing medicine for a dental procedure where you were awake, 
then you'll be okay with getting an epidural. And the medicine does not get to the baby and it doesn't get to your brain either. It doesn't make you sleepy. It doesn't um, impact your ability to bond with your baby or experience all of, all, all of the childbirth. Really all it does is take the pain and lessen it to a degree that feels very tolerable. And we just have one last question to ask you here, Dr. Sims. So a lot of people seem to worry that they might reveal something personal once they've received anesthesia. And they're worried that they might wake up and say something crazy. Is that true? That that one's actually a really funny one for me. So that's a fact. So yeah, I mean, if you if you feel nice and comfortable, you might feel chatty, whatever it is that's on your mind, you might want to talk about it. You might say something, but just keep in mind that we're all professionals. If you do say something that you didn't mean to say, you probably aren't even going to remember that you said it. And we're not going to tell you that you said it either because it's part of our job and we know that that happens. Does it happen that often? No. Most of the time um, in the process of going to sleep and or waking up, our members are just very sleepy and don't really talk. So there really isn't a time frame where you would just be loopy and just sort of like running your mouth and telling all of your secrets. And also keep in mind too, that a lot of times if people do get sort of disinhibited and want to chat and talk and laugh, you know, they're usually talking about what's what's on their mind or what's going on in their lives currently. And uh, we do keep your confidence too. There is a doctor-patient relationship. And so we're not going to tell what you said to us. We do keep that in confidence. So yeah, don't. I, I just want our members to know, don't worry about anything that you might say or do because when you are a little bit sedated or, you know, have a little bit of that happy juice in you, you know, it can make people feel very, very um, pleasant. So most of the time people laugh and I'm usually telling them jokes and my jokes are really corny. So I usually don't give you a chance to say any of your of your, of your special secrets. I'm usually telling you jokes. All right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Sims. We really enjoyed getting to talk to you today and kind of just debunk some of the misconceptions that members might have about anesthesia or going under for surgery. So thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And thank you all for listening. We hope you check back in with us for future episodes on wellness topics and specials covering specific areas of health. This has been Talking for the Health of It, and we'll talk to you next time. 